Welcome to the Invisible Injuries Podcast, aimed at bettering the well-being and mental health of veterans, first responders, and their immediate support experiencing post-traumatic stress. By sharing the stories of the lived experiences of our peers, the support staff, and the clinicians, it's our aim to make sure we can have a meaningful connection with our audience and give them ideas for their own self-care plan. If you do like what you're hearing, subscribe to the channel and share it with your friends. Lastly, these stories may be a trigger for your post-traumatic stress. If your PTSD is triggered, we have links to support in the description. Or if it's immediate, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Here's your host, Andy Fermo. Hey there, you're with Andy Fermo from Invisible Injuries. And today we're at Camp Gregory. We've been here on our tour for the last five days and I've got Mick Polak here as a special guest. So thanks for joining us today on the podcast, mate. Great. Thanks, Andy. It's good to be here. Yeah, mate. So we were just having a bit of a yarn before. We're, um, describe where we're at, mate. Yeah, Camp Gregory, it's a uh, veterans retreat. We're about 20 minutes east of Childers, uh, just before Woodgate, and Camp Gregory is a 40-acre block of land which has been uh, passed across as a veterans retreat, and we're on the banks of the Gregory River. So not only can you come here and wind down and relax, we can also uh, catch a fish and maybe even a mud crab. Oh, mud crab, that's right. Well, you know, when we rocked up, we were greeted with open arms, um, you know, set up our tent, um, and and these guys at, um, at, at, the, at the afternoon sort of catch-up served us mud crab, and you can't go wrong with that. Fresh off the, from the morning into the pot, chilled off and then mud crab served so we um we felt felt pretty special but besides that uh, we'll get to more about camp gregory a bit later on uh, mick so tell us about your service mate um we were, we were talking about that before a couple, couple of years in the infantry is that right yeah i joined up in january 74 um and my first call was infantry and i went and joined the second fourth battalion for two years and then i thought i saw the light and i called transferred to signals and I went to SIGS Corps for the next 21 years, and I got out in 96. Okay. Right, so um, t- tell us about life as a grunt, mate. How, how was that? No, the 2nd 4th was a great unit. It was formed uh, by the amalgamation of the 2nd and the 4th Battalion after the Vietnam War, and um, there was uh, early days. It was quite interesting because there was still a lot of strong 2-battalion feelings and 4-battalion feelings, and... They didn't always gel, but mm. over a period of about 12 months, the battalion gelled and uh, we all become very good mates and probably we consider ourselves to be the pre- premier battalion. Right. Mm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, <laughs> and, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of contentious there about it. So with our audience, uh, if, you, if you think otherwise, come feel free to, to contact us about that and uh, <laughs> let, let Mick know what you think. Um, but uh, so what was it about, um, you know, changing over to SIGS that appealed to you at the time? Yeah, well, I didn't know what I was going to do for my whole career. So um, after a couple of years in infantry, I could see... The, we were repeating everything every 12 months like a 12-month cyclone. And as a young soldier, I didn't appreciate the benefit of that. So mm. I uh, decided to change over and become a rigger in the Corps of SIGs. But mm. um, after seeing what I had to do to become a rigger, 
Yeah. I uh, jumped from one little boat to another little boat and went clerical <laughs> instead. <laughs> oh, were you scared of heights or something like that, mate? Was heights didn't do it for you as a rigger? No, heights didn't worry me at all. It just um, to become a rigger, you had to be a linesman for, yeah. for a few years yeah. and then go and do your rigger's course, and yeah. that did take a lot of time. And, mm. and I was in a hurry because at the time I only wanted to join the Army for three years or maybe six years and then get out. But um, <laughs> It I, sounds I kept, like you hang around for a bit longer than well, that. Well, I kept on stuffing up and had to repeat, so I ended up doing <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, that was a pretty good innings then, mate. We were talking uh, the other day, and, and we actually had been posted to the same place and at, at different times. Yes. Did you spend a fair bit of time up at, at, up at Kabbalah? You know, was that... Yeah, two mate? postings at Kabbalah. The first one was um, as the chief clerk of 72 EW Squadron. Yeah. Uh, that was in 85, 86. Mm. That was a fantastic posting. Our boss was a fellow called Merv Jenkins, mm. probably one of the better bosses I ever worked for. Mm. Um, they did great work and then I went back there again as the admin officer of the Joint Telecommunications School that was um, 1991 to the start of 93 prior to my posting overseas yeah and, and it's a, an amazing so I came along uh, quite some time afterwards and you know those grounds looked amazing um, and so so thanks for the work that you did there all those years before um, and so you, you posted overseas you, you were saying to Malaysia for a bit Oh, and then to, to the Sollies or to yeah. the in 70, 1975 I went to uh, Malaysia on the uh, rotation Butterworth yep. rotation for three months um, that was a great experience and my very last posting in the army I did uh, three year posting to the Solomon Islands based in Honiara and I was very fortunate because I was able to take my family with me yeah. and we got ourselves a married quarter and, and we just we just loved it fell into the Solomon's way of life very easily Oh, yeah, yeah, Solomon's time, hey? Yeah. Did you have your kids with you as well, or was it just you and the missus? That yeah, got we had two young kids. Our, our boy Greg, he was five years old, and Melanie was only just one. Yeah. And um, they come across, and um, Melanie ended up going to preschool in that time, and Gregory went to the local school in Honiara. Yeah. And he was the only little white boy in his whole class, was which he? was quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Mel was the, little white, the only little white girl in her class when she did kindy. Yeah. But uh, they, they absolutely loved it over there. And the great thing about the Solomon Islands, um, people sort of were all in the one bag, you know. There was no mm. racial prejudice or anything like that. It was mm. a fantastic environment for kids to grow up, yeah. uh, you know, in a, in a good environment. And so what was, what was that role there? So the posting you were over there? Yeah, we were involved with the uh, Defence Cooperation Program um, and where we had... Army, Navy and Air Force personnel in all those six countries I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, it was our job to coordinate um, defence programming, so whether we had ship visits coming in or an yeah. army exercise or they're coming in doing medical work or, mm. or water purification or mm. Air Force were coming through doing visits and uh, working in conjunction with those other countries. Uh, the defence advisor, who was a uh, three-ring sailor, mm. uh, he was a commander, and myself would sort of coordinate do the diplomatic approvals and all that sort of stuff to get it all get it all to happen yeah well i could only imagine that there'd be a lot of uh mechanics behind that to to get you know some of those big exercises and, and operations underway that's right because we had to work with the governments of those six different countries yeah right. and uh, our government would work with those governments and we'd be the, the conduit in the middle which would try and be the liaison and put things together so that we could get our soldiers, sailors and airmen overseas to do some good work. Now, so what would you, what would you say out of that time there would have been the most difficult sort of uh, bit 
or, or challenging, challenging thing? Well, probably the most challenging thing when I was there, just before I left, that's when uh, Australia made a commitment to Bougainville to send, oh. um, to send troops up there. So getting diplomatic clearances and all that for naval ships to come through and go yeah. up through the Solomon Islands into PNG waters and all that, that had to be coordinated. And then we had uh, the Tobruk came into Honiara and a lot of Australian servicemen flew into Honiara, then mm. boarded the Tobruk and then went up to Bougainville from there. So that yeah. was a bit of work and a lot of logistics to uh, get things all cleared and put through. So that, w- that was a bit of work. Sounds like it was pretty rewarding as well at that yeah. time to be able to go over there and, and do that. Yeah, I loved it. I, I, I got a lot of personal satisfaction. I also had the opportunity to become the... Uh, Vice Commodore of the Point Cruise Yacht Club, and that was a good gig for a couple of years. And, uh, so Wednesday nights was a great night when we had the lucky raffle drawer, and every now and again I might win something. So that was that was great, but uh, that was a great opportunity to get a mix with the locals and you know the local police force and all that sort of stuff. We'd all meet at the yacht club and have a cold cup of tea after work. Yeah, well that's right. It's all about the meaningful social engagement, isn't it? You can't you can't rig the raffles all the time for yourself to be no, able not, to win. Only some of the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you mentioned before as well, before we got onto the call, Mick, that you had some injuries sustained, like more physical injuries when you were in. Yeah. When I was actually when I was in the Solomons, um, I was getting ready to come home to Australia, and I was starting to do my early morning runs and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I sustained a pretty bad ankle injury, mm. and uh, I had knee injuries as well. And from that, they just got worse and worse over times after operations and what have you. And um, from those injuries, I found that I was unable to work and fulfil my job properly, and which mm. led on to a bit of you know anxiety and a bit of depression and. That was all diagnosed, so it took a bit to sort of work through that. So mm. DVA were good enough to recognise it, and they're looking after me in that area. When you had these physical injuries and, and you were starting to get feel like you were getting these depression and, 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 and anxiety and everything like that, did it take you a little while to sort of come to grips about that, you know? Or, you know, what was the point that you um, said, OK, this is happening to me? Yeah, it did take a lot to adjust to myself because I was, I was quite a fit person. I used to run all the time and do lots and that. And because of my ankle injury, mm. uh, at times I used to use a stick to help me walk. Mm. Um, and I was on a lot of pain medication and all that sort of stuff. So I was unable to do a lot of the things that I was used to doing. Yeah. And um, that's what sort of knocks you around a bit. You sort of Sure, we're all going to grow old, but we want to grow old at a certain rate, not too fast. And yeah. I felt that I was um, becoming an old man quicker than I'd have wanted to be. Yeah, because of those injuries. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think though sometimes, as in in your mind, you're still okay, but then there's certain bits that that do that. And, and yeah. if you if you're starting to feel depressed or, or anxious in regards to that, so was that part of did that sort of affecting your military career? Before you got out, or yeah, well, it's, I got out probably about nine months after my main injury, which was the ankle injury. Yeah. Um, so it didn't really affect my military career that much, but it did affect what I could and couldn't do mm. um, after I got out. Ah, um, so that's a big one, isn't it? After I got out, yeah, I was unable to do a lot of things, and and that's what eventually I had to retire from work because of those injuries yeah did you find that you know sort of when you when you get out and you got these injuries i mean the military career is fine sounds like you had an amazing military career Mm. with all these other opportunities and doing some really cool stuff 
that that's beyond the scope of this conversation. Um, come up to Camp Gregory and have a chat with Mick to find out more about those stories. Yeah. Uh, but you know, sort of when you when you're trying to find a, a career post military, and and you're also stuck with some of these other conditions, is does that did you find that that made it hard as well, like on, well, on your mental health? Yeah, it did a bit, but I was fortunate because a lot of people who do 20 years and more, when they get out of the army, they, they're in a full-time army position, yeah. and to do that transition straight from being a soldier to a civilian mm. is quite a jump. Mm. Um, my second last posting at the Joint Telecommunications Unit at Kabbalah, I was working with Tri-Service, mm. and, um, you know, you the Air Force, you've got to... Well, we're half civilians anyway, aren't they? Yeah, well, that's right. So, right. And then after I did that posting, I was posted to the High Commission in Honiara, mm. and that's uh, full of civilians from Department of Foreign Affairs, and I'm working with uh, police forces from other countries and the other countries' military. So my transition wasn't cut and dry. It was a slow transition, so mm. I didn't find that stressing as such, whereas a lot of people who say are an infantry soldier for their whole life, join a battalion and then leave a battalion after 20 years, yeah. it's quite an adjustment for them. So I was fortunate there, yeah. I had that easy transition. And how did you find your sort of after military care in terms of being able to, you know, have any claims with Veterans Affairs? What was that process like for you? It was a long, slow process, um, getting the injuries recognised, mm. uh, that was the biggest process, and... Uh, from when I first put in my first claim until everything was finalised, that took about seven years. Seven years. And that was a long time, and that was Bloody putting hell. in one claim, they'd, they'd knock it back or whatever, and then another yeah. claim would go in, and so that yeah. took a fair bit. Yeah, well, I mean, so in that time, in that seven years, with the, those other conditions that you were telling me about with the mm. depression and anxiety, had you finished work up by that, by that stage, or, you know, like while you were trying to... Yeah, I was um, still working, yeah. and because of my injuries, that sort of added to my anxiety and mm. not knowing, you know, if I'm unable to work, how am I going to provide for my young family mm. and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and that does put a lot of mental pressure on one, and mm. so when DVA finally comes through and everything was settled, yeah. uh, that sort of, you knew where you stood, so yeah. uh, you knew what the road ahead, but when you actually put in your first application to when everything's finalised, that's a long process and you get asked a lot of questions and it is quite stressing from for some at time to time and the anxiety just builds up. Well, well yeah, and that, that's, that's a great point that you bring in there because I think with a lot of veterans, when they're still trying to come to terms with whatever it is that they have, whether it's a mental health or trying to get their claims yeah. done, there's that time. And obviously, we, we all recognise that there's a time frame that needs to be done for everything to be processed. But mm. seven years is, is, is quite... It's a long time. It, it's a long time, especially with, you know, um, you'd probably see it here with, you know, I've seen some of the signs where veterans take it from bloody hour to hour or even day to day mm. in terms of that, that can seem like a lifetime for them, can't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and when they're sitting down unable to work... And mm. they've got that anxiety and depression there. Yeah, one day does seem like a lifetime. And mm. then you've got day after day, then month after month, and it just builds mm. on. And once you get seven years up, you're, you're sort of almost at the end of your tether. Yeah. So what, what, what did you do then when you finally, you know, that sense of relief happened with that um, DVA coming to the party? You know, did that sort of um, allow you to be able to pursue other stuff then to be able to take care of your, your own mental health and, and what yeah. you were doing? Yeah, I was able to take on, yeah, I was able to look after myself a lot more and I had a care plan in with my, um, you know, medical specialists and all that. 
and it gave me the opportunity to take on some other interests. You know, I, I enjoy uh, woodwork, yeah. uh, restoring turn-of-the-century furniture. I like riding my motorbike when I've got an opportunity and mm. you know, going for a fish. And coming up to Camp Gregory here, that's uh, a great stress reliever too and mm. it keeps the mind active and you get to meet like people too who come yeah. through the camp, veterans from, you know, all conflicts and, you know, whether they've been in conflict or not and you get to meet them and it's a place of solitude where we can relax and we can relate to one another yeah. and there's no pressure. That, that's what I love about this place here. You know, I'll be sitting on the banks now to be able to chat with, with people and you tell the story. And once you're out of the military, I, th- I think sometimes it, it, it takes you to get out of the military mm. before the pissing contest stops and you're just actually being able to spin the yarns there. So you ride your motorbikes? Yep, love my motorbike. And then, and the, and the, the woodworking and, and yep. the turning yep. there. So I saw some of those pens. Is that something that you do on a regular basis with... Yeah, I do it to fill in time. I make, I turn out pens, and um, we had an infantry master a couple of years ago, and yeah. uh, I made up a a, a bolt action pen mm. uh, with the uh, battalion colours in it, and yeah. uh, they were quite popular. So yeah. I made up a few of them for a few mates mm-hmm. of mine, and they were well received, and and yeah. it's good fun, and it gives and it gets me out of the house from under the wife's feet when I'm out there doing that stuff or doing the furniture restoration or turning bowls or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at one of the pens now. I don't know if you do that on the side there for veterans, um, Mick, or is Well, I, d- I don't advertise it, but if people want a pen made, well, yeah. I, I do it for pretty well cost, so yeah. I don't want to make any money out of it. Yeah. I just do it for the love of making it. Yeah, right. So if there's anyone that wanted a sort of reunion type, type thing that... We could maybe get yeah, them to contact me. Yeah, I can make them up out of timber, or I can make them out of different coloured resins or patterns or whatever. So, oh, they look yeah. they look amazing, mate. Yeah. I'm just you know, I'll, I'll I'll show you the photos anyway um, to our audience a little bit later. So, how was it that you um found Camp Gregory, mate? I found out about it from a mate of mine who I worked in Kabbalah with, and he now lives at Harvey Bay, which is about an hour from Camp Gregory. And um, he said I should come up and check it out. But he said when I come up, make sure I've got plenty of um, sandfly repellent. So uh, I came up here the first time without the repellent, and I suffered. So every other time I've come up with, I've been uh, I've had the repellent with me. So, <laughs> and I'm also taking the vitamin B tablets. Vitamin B1 and B12 apparently keep the sandflies away. But I found it uh, come up a few times with mates and that. And, in the last couple of years, I've been coming up for a week or, you know, yeah. at a time. And, and people can come to Camp Gregory for up to a fortnight at a time and yeah. they're quite welcome. Yeah, and and, it's, and it is a great spot to be able to just chill out and, and, and do that. And for anyone who hasn't visited this part of the, the world, and, 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 you know, it's only just a couple of, um, couple of hours from Brizzy to yeah. Woomba, southeast Queensland, you know, there's That's even right. though... This weekend, we've had a few people come up, even from as far as the central coast of New South Wales. We have had a motorcycle group come up, and uh, mm. they're having a great time. And well, I had a great time. They just left this morning, and we've got another group coming up next week. And mm. and the camp here, well, we boast um, hot and cold showers. We've got flushing toilets for male and females, but we don't mm. provide two forty power. So 
We need to remind our visitors that we're a bush camp, we're not a caravan park, so well, we have to rough it a little bit. Yeah, look, I don't mind roughing that a little bit. We've been off the grid there a little bit, but it doesn't really... You know, you've got wood. You've got Woodgate just down the road if you want to be That's able right. to, to dump your ablutions and everything like that, bring enough water. Yeah. And um, the facilities here are amazing. Now, one thing that you didn't mention, you've got the caravan and you, could, you can tent city it up if you want or even swag it. Let me know about these dongas and that that you've got and, and the whole... You know, the shed yep. and everything. We've got four blocks of, four donger blocks, and each donger has three rooms, and uh, they can hold uh, either a double bed or three single beds or a couple of single beds, and the dongers can uh, accommodate up to 25 people at present. Mm. Uh, and we've got quite a few, few spots for people to set up their camper trailer or caravan, or if they want to pitch a tent, they mm. can do that as well. And we've got the communal camp kitchen, uh, where we've got gas stoves and barbecues and all that sort of stuff if people want to come in and cook up. Yeah. And it's a great place to come and gather it at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock for, for an afternoon drink and to socialise. That's probably one of been, been some of the highlights of our days besides doing the cool things around here is to be able to, you know... Even for my kids, is, is having them go in and go yep. and get a fish and then they could tell their little tales as well and mm. and sort of gather there to be able to have some meaningful social engagement, yeah, you yeah. know. A couple of groups while we've been through, um, you know, so you can stay up to two weeks at a time. That's right. Two weeks at a time, people are more than welcome to come in and yep. uh, we keep it at two weeks because otherwise if people stay longer then it's not going to make... Yeah, uh, room for others so we like to keep a nice rotation going but I think after two weeks most people are ready to sort of go home and have a yeah. have a break in the real world yeah absolutely and, and you know look I think that there's also being a charity the uh, Camp Gregory also does accept donations you know look it's free to stay but if you do feel compelled to donate that's um, right yeah to, to become uh, a member of the Camp Gregory Veterans Retreat it, it costs uh, veterans a uh, sum of one dollar Oh. and they can become a life veteran. Uh, there's no obligation to make a contribution financially to the camp, mm. um, but the contributions we do receive, that pays mm. for the, for the uh, toiletries and the toilets, the papers, the soaps, uh, the mm. gas for the gas bottle, yeah. um, and also helps pay for the fuel for the lawnmowers mm. and that sort of stuff. And every donation we get goes straight back into the camp. It does, doesn't it? And and, and, and you can see that when you get you get here, you're you know, greeted with open arms. You've got all the facilities to be able to um, relax. I mean, you can partake in whatever activity is going on, or you could just chill out and keep to yourself. There's you know, there's so much stuff to do. Mini golf course. Yeah, we've got a we've we've probably got Australia's only three hole golf course, which is um, all road base. But uh, <laughs> eventually we're hoping the grass will come through and uh, it'll be back to its former lust. Well, well, you know, mate, I think the owner would be, uh, you know, I read an article about how he was the caddy for old Greg Norman. So was that the start of his career there? Yeah, Roger, um, he was, he's been involved in golf pretty well all of his yeah. life. Uh, Roger was a national serviceman yeah. and um, Roger actually gave this uh, 40-acre block of Camp Gregory to the veterans for veterans use mm. and um, no he I don't think he set up the golf course here I think it was set up by Bob the mower man and uh, he made his three holes and um, so I don't know if Rogers played the three hole golf course he may have I haven't I haven't asked him <laughs> so, so, we've got, so we've got Roger the owner who uh, who donated the, the, the land is as a Vietnam correct yep. he's a Vietnam yep. veteran mm -hmm. and over the last 
say, 10 or so years, we've had a big growth in terms of the amenities that have been built around here with the big shed, with the pool table. Yes. The dongas come in. We've got the communal area, multiple campsites. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, so far it's been a 15-year project of love by Mm. volunteers. It started off as just a bush block with nothing on it. Yeah. And then uh, Roger got a few of his Vietnam veteran mates together yeah. and uh, they started putting a bit of infrastructure in and we, they built the camp kitchen and they brought the dongers in and yeah. we were fortunate enough to get ourselves the old Lysart hut, a full Lysart hut, which is for like a community hall where people mm. can come in and just chill out and there's a library in there and a selection of videos. And we've also been donated a... Uh, a big maintenance shed too, which was yeah. great, and that's up. So we've got quite a bit of infrastructure here. Mm. It probably won't grow a lot, but we'll just try to improve uh, the services that we got, like a couple of projects is to try and get a bit more water in, and that's that's mm. going to be a, a costly exercise um, because we have to find our own water, and we don't have 240 power here. So mm. we do have a solar system, but it's in its teething stage at the moment, but... Uh, Eventually, we'd like to get another solar system on to help power the camp. Well, I mean, look, it all takes time to grow. So, I mean, for who, for those of you who've uh, in our audience that have been here, um, and it's been a while, I, I do highly recommend that you that you do come come on down and check it out and um, and see what it's all about because it is only just a stone's throw, really, a couple of hours away in in southeast Queensland, mm. and. Um, you know, lastly, Mick, you know, you, you've been here as, as, as part of the, the caretaking crew um, for, for a little bit now. You yep. know, you've stepped in to, to help out. Yep. Do you get that sense of satisfaction if you're seeing some veterans here, like, that are a little bit feeling anxious and, and sort of down, and then you see them at the end? What's that? How, how do you see, well, what have, have you observed? Yeah, this place has got a great calming effect. Um, if a veteran comes in by himself uh, with no one else, then... You'll meet other veterans here. They'll normally sit down around the uh, mm. around the camp kitchen and have a yarn, and mm-hmm. it sort of helps them relax. Um, and it is a good calming thing. And I get a lot of self satisfaction out of coming up here. I get a chance to wind down. Mm. Uh, it's great for me, and, and I'm sure it's great for all the veterans who come in because they can wind down and relax. Yep. Yeah, and you can bring the you can bring your families if you want as well. Yeah, yeah spouses, children are more than welcome. And uh, a veteran can even bring his uh, non-veteran mate if he wants, yeah. uh, but he or she needs to be responsible for the mm. any extra guests. And it's just a matter of ringing up um, the camp phone. It's on the Facebook page and um, making a booking. You do need to book ahead mm. uh, because we've got limited bed spaces and limited uh, camp spots. And most people, when they book ahead, they can get in without any worries. No worries. And so what, what's the Facebook page? Uh, camp Gregory Veterans Retreat. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go into it, request to become a member and our page administrator will have a look at you and if you're a veteran, mm. um, then uh, you'll be allowed to come onto the page and have access to all of Camp Gregory Veterans Retreat Facebook. No worries. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing a bit of your story and also what what's available here at Camp Gregory. So um, we really appreciate your time, mate. Yeah, many thanks and thanks for having me. 
We hope you enjoyed Andy's chat with Mick Polak from Camp Gregory. Don't forget to subscribe. And for more great content, follow us on our socials on Instagram and Facebook. You can also visit our website, www.invisibleinjuries.org.au, where you can access more content, services database, and follow our 12-month PTSD National Awareness Tour. Thanks for listening to Invisible Injuries. This has been a 23 Media Production.